So we have finally arrived to, to, to a baby being born, but it's not Jesus yet. Um, it's John the Baptist, as we've read. And so we've been anticipating uh, this moment in, in, the, in the scriptures as we've been journeying through the book of Luke. I don't know, but have you enjoyed the book of Luke so far? I have really enjoyed studying and going through the scriptures. I've, I've gotten some feedback from some of you that you are enjoying it, so praise God for that. Um, we are um, journeying through this book, and we're leading up to the Christmas story, uh, leading up to Jesus' birth. And we've been looking at the prophecies and these visions given to Zechariah and Elizabeth and then to Mary. We looked at some la- the last two weeks, and now we've, we've gotten to this place where finally we see uh, Elizabeth give birth to a baby boy, and there's some controversy that we'll talk about in a, in a few minutes. But as we look at the story of John the Baptist and his birth, he's someone who, that we've been anticipating for some weeks in the gospel. And I love this idea of titling this sermon that Jonathan just gave me a few moments ago, just titling it Promise and Fulfillment. How many of you know that when God makes a promise, he is going to fulfill it? Amen. Isn't God a good God to know that he's made promises in his word in his word and he's prayed promises to each of us personally even and to know that God is faithful to his word? Amen. God gives prophecy because he is sovereign. God is God is, he knows all things, and so he's able to to look into the future, but not just look and predict what's going to happen, but orchestrate things so that they do happen. He's able to change the hearts of men. He's able to um, erode away evil and allow the things that he has promised to come to pass. Amen? And so that is how God works in humanity, and he is sovereign over all of his promises. And there, all the way in the Old Testament, there have been promises and prophecies about the birth of this man, John the Baptist, going all the way to the Old Testament. And they are included early on in the Gospel of Luke with a very telling and intimate portrait, amen, where we meet this elderly couple that is barren, a man named Zechariah and a woman who is barren in her old age named Elizabeth. She is probably in her 70s or 80s, never able to have children. Shame has come upon her because in that custom, a woman who couldn't have children was looked at with shame. And so she had been longing and all of a sudden an angel shows up to Zechariah while Zechariah was doing his priestly duties in the temple an angel shows up and makes this promise, and we know the angel's name is Gabriel. Gabriel shows up to Zechariah, and then a little later, he shows up to Mary, right? And Zechariah was this country priest, and um, he and his wife never been able to have a baby. They've been serving God faithfully, as we read in the scriptures, asking God to provide. And then the biggest day of Zechariah's life finally comes. He is a priest and uh, on duty, and the angel comes. Zechariah, like so many of us, when this angel makes this promise, begins to say some things probably were a little out of line. How can this be? How is this even possible? I, basically, I don't even believe you. 
And the angel shows his power and mutes Zechariah. So now Zechariah can't even testify about this wonderful vision that he has had. He can't even speak about it because of his doubt. And uh, maybe we could call that a little bit of discipline in Zechariah's life. Amen. A little bit of discipline. Hey, don't you know that this is the power of God, that this is a miracle that God wants to take place in your life? And here you are doubting what is actually happening. And so Zechariah was mute. And for the next nine months, so I'm sure for the rest of his life, he chose his words very carefully. Amen. In the presence of God. And around that same time, the angel Gabriel reread showed up to Mary, who was a relative of Elizabeth. And we got to see last week how Mary journeyed to go and see her relative and and was looking for this sign because Mary, I'm sure she was worried and anxious about this promise that has been given to her and she needed a sign. And what is the perfect sign is to see and travel to Elizabeth, who is 80 years old, pregnant. And that is the sign. Okay, God is really doing something here. I've got confirmation now that God is really working because something is happening in Elizabeth. And if it's happening in Elizabeth and the angel Gabriel showed up to John, to Zechariah to give birth to John, then something must be happening. It's going to happen. And so now Mary's faith is now increased. Amen. About all of this activity. God is working. God is working in the midst of of Judea. And today we've read that John is finally born. Elizabeth gives birth to John. And uh, finally, Elizabeth gets to be a mom. And God has lifted her shame. She said previously with this great gift of a son, and everyone was clamoring to name the child. There's not much that has changed, right? How many of you, when you, you were pregnant, you moms, when you were pregnant, everyone wanted to name your baby? Right. Everybody. Mother-in-laws had ideas. A a great uncle that you haven't seen in 10 years, you know, finds out you're pregnant. What are you going to name him? Because really, he probably wants you to name that baby boy after him because they're just weird like that. Like, I don't know you, man. Like uh, you're (laughs) so everybody wants to have input on the name and, and the names get fancier and fancier these days. Right. And uh, we we see that. They they were they, that everybody wanted to name this baby Zachariah after the father. But no, there was a plan already in place that God was establishing. This young boy's name would be John. John. The angel Gabriel said to name him John. And so after he was called John, as Zachariah was trying to communicate, Zachariah's mouth was finally open. And the first thing he did is he didn't start to yell at people or do kind of any anything, you know, uh, like routine or talk to his wife in any way. With the first thing that Zachariah does, he doesn't get angry with God. He blesses God. He blesses God at his first opportunity to use his words. He, he blesses God and And they raised this young man, John the Baptist, for a life of devotion and ministry. And I was thinking about this. I'm I'm just going to let you know there's a lot of directions that I could go with this sermon. Tons. There's lots of things to learn and glean from this text. 
And there's something that's very interesting that, that struck with me that I like to share with you that I think is very important um, that is maybe a little bit more subtle in the text. I want you to read it with me. If you, uh, if you think about John, if I were to ask you, let me ask this, if I were to ask you who is the greatest man to ever live besides Jesus, who's the greatest man to ever live besides Jesus? Do you know that, that Jesus answers this question? He says, the greatest man to ever live, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Moses, great men, amen, like great men. Jesus says, the greatest man, in Luke 7, 20, 28, Jesus said, among those born of women, none is greater than John. And I was thinking about why does Jesus call John the Baptist the greatest There's another text in John chapter three, where John says he, meaning Jesus, must increase and I must decrease. John was given the task of of welcoming and preparing the way for Jesus Christ, the Messiah to come. He was the one that was announcing that the promise was here, the Messiah is here, the one is here. And so in all humility, he's the one that gets to prepare the way for Christ. And he doesn't exalt himself, he stays humble. And there's something very interesting about his life that I want to share with you. And that is that John the Baptist came from spirit-filled parents. We are told that both his mother, Elizabeth, and his father, Zechariah, Luke makes it a point to show us that they were spirit-filled. Spirit-filled. In Luke 1.41, we read earlier that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And the remainder of the story goes on to say that she prophesied over Mary. And then in, we just read in verse 67, Zechariah, his father, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied over his son John at his birth. And so I think it's important for us to understand what does it mean to be Spirit-filled, amen? What does that mean? What does it mean to, to have the Holy Spirit indwell in us as believers? What does that mean for you? If, you? if you were just to think about your own life, would you be someone that says, you know what, I am Spirit-filled? Or would there be a gap in that promise and the reality of your life? Would you look at your life and say, yeah, I'm spirit-filled. No, I want to be spirit-filled, but you know, I'm really, really not spirit-filled. I'm not really walking in the spirit, as Romans says. What's so interesting about being spirit-filled is that sometimes we'll look to the book of Acts to find the spirit-filled portions of Scripture. But really, spirit-filled starts in the book of Luke. It's a sequel. Remember, Luke wrote both the book of Luke and he wrote the book of Acts. And so if you go back to the book of Luke, you realize that he speaks of the Holy Spirit in his gospel more than any of the other gospels. And he tells us that Zechariah and Elizabeth were filled with the Holy Spirit. The first people, the first spirit filled people we meet are Zechariah and Elizabeth and then John. 
Now, I want to tell you something that's very important. And sometimes we mess up with our language because we'll say, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is moving. It is moving. It is moving. I want you to know the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a he. He is a personal, personal um, person. He is a person, the third member of the Trinity. The Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit can be grieved. The Holy Spirit can be quenched. The Holy Spirit can be resisted. He's not an impersonal force. Amen. The Holy Spirit loves to glorify and honor Jesus. And so how do we know that the Holy Spirit is at work within us? How do you know that the Holy Spirit is at work within you? How can you how can you know? Andrew, I have that question. How how can I know that I'm spirit filled? Because if you're spirit filled, you'll want to do what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Did you know that? Say, I don't I'm not really sure if I'm if I'm really walking and filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't know if I'm walking in step with the Holy Spirit. And the question is, what does the Holy Spirit want to do? And are you doing those things? It's very simple. We know that the spirit is at work when people love Jesus. When they worship Jesus, when they serve Jesus, when they want to be like Jesus, when they confess their sin to Jesus, because the Holy Spirit wants to do what? Love Jesus and worship Jesus and serve Jesus. Amen. This is an activity that the Holy Spirit brings into our lives. And so if we see these activities missing from our lives, then we we ought to take a, a hint, amen, and realize maybe we're not filled with the Holy Spirit. And maybe we need to ask God to fill us with the Holy Spirit, amen? So important. The Holy Spirit inspired the writing of the whole Bible to reveal to us the person and the work of Jesus. And so we know that the Holy Spirit takes up residence in the Christian and transforms and empowers and gifts us from the inside out so that we're never the same. There's a systematic theology book, a really big book like this. And when we were um, our uh, pastoral team and some of the leaders in church, we were doing some theological studies like biblical doctrine and these kinds of things. And we were given a really good book, really big one by uh, by an author, very, 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 very popular, well-known author named Wayne Grudem. How many of you have ever heard of Wayne Grudem before? Anybody? Okay. So he wrote a book. It's called Systematic Theology. And what it does is it shows you all these different doctrines about all kinds of things throughout the Bible, like all kinds of beliefs. I mean, from creation and salvation and and all kinds of different things and the second coming of Christ. And it goes on and on and on. And how the church should function and everything. And he gets to this little place talking about what it means to be spirit filled. And I want to share this with you. This is what Wayne Grudem says. Hope you have it. Being filled with the spirit is an event subsequent to conversion in which the believer experiences a fresh infilling with the Holy Spirit that may result in a variety of consequences, including greater love for God, greater victory over sin, greater power for ministry 
and sometimes the receiving of new spiritual gifts. Wow. And I was thinking about that. Because so often we as believers, we struggle in our love for God. We struggle, amen? Like we struggle to like love God better. And every time, every time we, we maybe we look at some struggle that we're having, some issues, some conflict that maybe we're not handling very well, maybe some desires that we know are in our lives, and we reflect, you know, this isn't really quite lining up with what God wants for my life. It's, it's, a, it's about your love for God. And so if you're not loving God very well, then what is the clue? What, what you should do is you should ask yourself, are you being filled with the Holy Spirit consistently in your life? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? So important. When you become a Christian, I want you to know this. The Holy Spirit regenerates you. Did you know that? The Holy Spirit is the one who comes and takes your heart of stone and gives you the heart of flesh, the Bible says in Ezekiel. So your, your stony heart, your, re, your heart that is, wants to reject God and have nothing to do with God now becomes tender and alive because the Holy Spirit has now changed your heart and regenerated you for salvation. That's the very first step of salvation. Did you know that? The very first link in the chain of salvation is you being regenerated. And this is what Jesus calls us being born again spiritually. Our hearts are now in line. And then what happens is you are filled with his Holy Spirit. God doesn't just leave us in the condition that he finds us and say, hey, figure it out. Good luck. He doesn't do that, does he? He, he sees us in our condition and he gives us a new power to, by which to live by. Amen. And that is the power of the Holy Spirit. And when the power of the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you, you'll have a greater love for God and you'll find yourself having a greater victory over sin in your life. We read about this fullness. We see it in Ephesians chapter five, verse 18. He says, do not get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, John the Baptist is the embodiment of this. Amen. He never drank alcohol. He was filled with the spirit. He wasn't controlled by substances. He was controlled by the spirit. And I just want to say with all love and all care, I want to tell you, if you are filled and controlled by drugs or alcohol, things of that nature and kind, the spirit is the one that needs to be filling you. And it is the spirit that should be inspiring you and leading you and transforming you. Amen. Jesus says in John's gospel that the Holy Spirit is like the wind, right? The wind is the is always blowing. And to be filled with the Holy Spirit means simply that we see our lives as a ship with a sail and we keep our sail up. You have that picture. What a great illustration of how um, our lives should be. The wind is always blowing. 
If that sail comes down off that boat, guess what happens to the boat? It doesn't move. It goes nowhere. It's lost at sea. Amen. But if we keep our sail up so that our sail could be filled, filled with the Holy Spirit, we know that his presence, his power would direct our life and our life course and that he would take us where he wants to go and that we that we would become what he wants us to be and that we would do what he wants us to do by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's all it means. It's a great visual. Do I have my sail up? Is the is the power of the Holy Spirit moving me in God's direction in my life? Am I am I Am I seeing myself become what God wants me to be? And if I could just continue using this analogy, the wind is always blowing. But some Christians, you know, they take their sail down. They're walking with God and just I'm taking my sail down. You know, I'm uh, I'm often blown away by Christians who at some point in their life are so full of the spirit. You could see God's work in them and through them and they're serving the Lord and their walk with the Lord and the and the way they yearn for the things of God. And then all of a sudden something happens. And what do they do? They put their sail down. And they want nothing to do with the Lord. Maybe they come to church out of convenience or because, you know, they just want to be a good person. And then they find themselves lost living in a way that doesn't honor the Lord, in relationships that don't honor the Lord, using substances that don't honor the Lord. And I think this is one of the clearest pictures. The Holy Spirit blowing. The Holy Spirit is moving. The Holy Spirit has a purpose to glorify the Son. And if we take our sail down, we will not be a part of it. We will be weak. We will be lost. We will find ourselves in a place that we don't want to be. And if a storm comes, my goodness. Destruction. We take our sail down through unrepentant sin, unbelief, lies over truth, foolish doctrine, bad life decisions. And sometimes we wonder, why is God not active in my life? Why don't I see his power? Why am I not moving and progressing? God, where are you? And God would say, I'm right here. Put the sail up. Put your sail up. Repent, read your Bible, pray, be in community with God's people. 
Keep your sail up. I'll lead you. I'll guide you. I'll empower you. I'll enable you. And I will gift you. And I will encourage you. And I'm willing to do it. But you've, you've not availed yourself to my presence and my power. God wants every Christian to be spirit-filled. Amen? He's available to all of us. All of us. And so John comes from spirit-filled parents. And in this instance, they prophesied. They have a prophetic word from God. Elizabeth does for Mary and Zechariah does for his son, John. And so I want to transition now to verse 68. Verse 68. I'm going to we've already read it, but I'm going to read through it a little bit and just talk through a few things in this passage. So if you have this scripture and um, Sam, I don't know if you have each verse, but we'll just kind of take it verse by verse here and. You'll do your best, I'm sure, because you're the, you're amazing to to keep up. Um, I really do mean that. I'm not saying that sarcastically. I, that came out sarcastic. Sam is amazing. Everybody, give it up for Sam, our media person. She loves this. She just loves attention. Loves, loves, loves. <laughs> she hates me now. So, um. We get to hear from Zechariah the joy of his heart over the arrival of the promised Savior, starting in verse 68. Zechariah understands that this is a time to praise God for the salvation that will come through the Messiah. How many of you know God is a Savior? He's a Savior. He is a Savior. He's a deliverer. Amen. He's a deliverer. We saw God work his deliverance with the Israelites, with Moses, how he delivered his people. I love that because the idea of just just going to say this, the idea of deliverance, what an amazing God we have to 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 see his people suffering in bondage. Back then it was with the Egyptians. They were in bondage and slavery and and God provided a way out through Moses. Amen. For freedom. And to to one day soon enter into the promised land. And in the same way now, you get to experience deliverance in your own life. That that we were in bondage to sin, enslaved to sin. But by the mercy of God and the power of his deliverance, we can be delivered from sin. Amen. And that eternal life, our promised land can be ours. Amen. We can be delivered from sin. So he's our savior. He's our deliverer. Praise God. He's our rescuer. And in this moment in time, Zechariah knows, he realizes that God is again working after 400 years. Amen. Of silence. There's been no prophets, no message. There's just been ongoing. The, the, the law of the Old Testament is just happening. They're in the temples. The priests are working. And all of a sudden, God sends an angel to speak into Zechariah's life, opening up the door that God is not silent. He is working. Amen. He is at work. Praise God. Now, I want you to listen to the kingdom language of this passage we're about to read here. All right. Kingdom language. It's it's a kingdom that God is establishing. And who is the king of this kingdom that God is establishing? Jesus. I see that's always an easy answer. Amen. 
You know, what's the answer on the test? A, Jesus. B, Jesus. C, Jesus. What is the answer? Jesus. Praise God. All of you guys passed. Look at that. You know, I got my GED, bro. Like, but in this test, you get the master's degree. Praise God. Look at you. Jesus. Who's the king? Some of you guys aren't even excited about that. Yes, praise the Lord. Jesus is the answer, amen? All right. (laughs) I know the answer. I just don't want to say, man. I just don't want to say. Here we go. Luke chapter 1, verse 68 says, this is Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Wow. Notice it's in the past tense. Because with God, a promise started is a promise fulfilled. Amen? He has initiated something, and Zechariah has no doubt this has already taken place. How many of you praise God in a way that it's already happened? Amen. When you pray to God, you say and pray in faith, God, it's already yours. It's already done. I already believe it. I already know you're going to do it because that's the kind of God you are. Thank you for you changed that, God. You changed that. It hasn't happened yet in, in our eyes, but in God's kingdom, in the spiritual, heavenly way, God has already worked it to completion. Amen. Wow, what a great God we serve. This is amazing to learn from Zechariah. In verse 69, he says, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. All right. One more time. New question. Who is the horn of David? Come on. You know, I know we're from Alvin, but come on, guys. We can do this. We can do it. Jesus. Who is the horn of David? Jesus. You know that this this covenant that God is beginning to fulfill, this promise and this fulfillment. This is from the the line of David we're talking about. Jesus is the greater David. He is the, the true king, amen? Then this, re, this redeemer comes to say, save us. You know, that's why Jesus came. If you look at the the text, it says, for he has visited us and redeemed his people. And I wanted to just say something about that. Jesus came and I don't know if you remember this, but when they prophesied, they said, call his name Jesus, for he will save people from their sins. That's why Jesus came. You remember we talked about it. And Luke chapter 19, our key verse for this entire series. Do you guys remember this one? Have you memorized it yet? The Son of Man has come to what? To seek and save that which was lost. Amen? That's why he came. And that is what Je- uh, that's what set Jesus on this 
collision course with the self-righteous that ultimately caused them to reject him and send him to the Romans to be executed. Zechariah knows that the Messiah comes as a savior and as a redeemer to redeem his people back to back from the bondage of sin and death and judgment and hell. He is a mighty savior. And now look in verse 70. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies. You see the kingdom language here? This is kingdom language. Imagine a fortress, a king in a fortress, and there are enemies coming to attack this kingdom, this fortress. And he's saying here that we will be saved from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us. Verse 72, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So let's see if you can link what we talked about a few moments ago in your mind to what this text is saying. If to serve him without fear, how do we serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness all our days? How do we do it? We just talked about it. Through the Holy Spirit. Amen. Through the Holy Spirit. See, this is not something that you have to look at and say, Man, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days, how can I do that? You can't. You can't do that. But you can by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. On your own, you'll never do it. You'll never, you'll never be able to. There, are, there, there, there is no way you can measure up to the holiness and righteousness all your days that God requires apart from the Holy Spirit. You can't do it. In verse 76, and you, child will be called the prophet of the Most High. So who is Zechariah prophesying about? John. You know, you know, I did that. I set that up, didn't I? I messed it all up. Like, I'm like, Jesus, Jesus, except for this one. <laughs> Everybody's angry. I hate this teacher. Oh, man, they didn't give me that one. It's so funny. I'm dealing with my kids because they go to school and they get really irritated when the teacher gives them an assignment, you know, and, and there's going to be a test. And then they take the test and nothing that they studied for is on the test. How I many of you feel like that? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm always like, as the dad, I'm always like, it was there somewhere. You weren't paying attention. Like you weren't even paying attention. Now I know how they feel. I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry. The answer this time is John. <laughs> Zechariah is prophesying about his own son. How many of you dads say blessings over your children? Amen. It's a beautiful thing as a father to lay your hand on the shoulder of a son or a daughter and bless them. Especially for you dads. 
Zechariah is a man to look up to because he, go, he could have gone and hid away after doing what he did and messing up the way he messed up and, and having this thing that's messing with him. But he didn't do that. What did he do? He was willing to continue blessing God. Amen. And then filled with the Holy Spirit, leading his family. Amen. And blessing John. I would encourage you, dads, you don't understand the power, the responsibility, the burden that God has placed on your life. I said this in a wedding yesterday, and I'll say it again. You know, when in the garden, um, God gave Adam responsibility for everything that was happening in that garden. Amen. God gave his word to Adam. God gave his res- the responsibility and the burden to Adam. And when they fell and when they fell in sin, God didn't come saying, hey, Adam and Eve, where are y'all? He said, Adam, where are you? Amen. Because God gives ultimate responsibility to the man. And you, if you are a, a husband and a father, you have a great responsibility in your life. I want to know. I want you to know that you have a great calling a great responsibility to lead your family well. And if you want to do that, you better be filled with the Holy Spirit as a father. Or you will not be able to lead your family, love your family, love your spouse, love your children very well. Amen? And all the men said, Amen. What a great example Zechariah is for us. Verse 76 And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. That's who John was. He was the prophet of Jesus. And he went before. It says you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. A mighty Redeemer has come. And before the Redeemer begins his ministry, his forerunner will go out to make the way for him to come. Zechariah understands that it is a fulfillment of promises made to David, promises made to Abraham, and promises made to the prophets. What is so beautiful about this is that it connects, it builds a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Amen? There is this beautiful thing that is happening where where Zechariah is realizing that what is about to take place in the coming of our Savior has actually promised with Abraham and David and the prophets of old. And so he's actually bridging the Old and the New Testament, connecting them together. And I thought this was so fantastic. I want to read this to you in Psalm chapter 2, verse 1. There is language here that Zechariah is using because how many of you know that that the kingdom that God is establishing is not just for Israel. It's not just for the Jews. How many of you know that? I was reading with my brother Joe today. We were reading Romans chapter 11 in verse 32, I believe, where we were seeing the, the, the promise to the Gentiles that, that, that God had made a promise and it was going to be filled not just with the Jews, but for all of us. We say, How, what's a Gentile, Andrew? I don't know what that is. If you're not a Jew, you're a what? A Gentile. So all of us here, if, unless you're a Jew, you're a Gentile. 
And look at what the Bible says in Psalm chapter 2, verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. You know who that is? That's God. Jesus. Are we did, we're doing this again. We're doing this again. Same, part, same, same God. Amen. All right, here we go. Verse four, he who sits in the heavens last, the Lord Yahweh holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Who's he talking about? Jesus. In verse 8, ask of me and I will make the nations, plural, your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. He not only comes as a king over Israel, he not only comes as a king over Jerusalem, he comes as a king of the whole world. He has an eternal and boundless kingdom. Amen. The child is the king of kings. This baby born in a manger is king over all. Amen. Praise God. Revelation says that right now Jesus is on a throne. Amen. After his resurrection, before his ascension, Jesus says that all authority was given unto me. He's a king. He's a king. And he is the ruler of the kingdom of heaven. He's a king. Amen. Zechariah understands that God's covenant for his people is being fulfilled in this child. The king is coming. Everything that was promised to David is being fulfilled. Everything that was promised to Abraham is being fulfilled. You know that whole thing with Abraham? I will, I will make your, your, your legacy will outnumber the sands on the beach. The, sand, the sands. He's, his legacy will go on. How is that possible? Because God has done it. God has promised. God has made a promise that, that, that the kingdom of heaven will go everywhere. And it's starting now. Zechariah realizes it's starting now. It's happening. Amen? And the most glorious of all Old Testament promises called the New Covenant, the covenant of forgiveness is going to be Fulfilled. God is making a way for our sins to be forgiven in Christ. And I want to read this. And I don't know if you remember. When we started this. This series. I spoke about this verse and I showed us the prophecy and Psalm and I showed us the the language that Zechariah is gleaning from when he declares this in verse 78. 
because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. This is what defines God, his tender mercy. Whereby the sunrise. How many of you need a sunrise in your life? Amen. I just need the, I just need the sun to shine again in my life. I don't know what darkness you're experiencing, but Jesus is the sun, not just the S-O-N son of God, but the S-U-N of light. He brings light and peace and hope that just like the sunrise we can depend on is going to rise every single day. The sunrise shall visit us from on high. Verse 79, to give light to those who sit in darkness. And in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. I love this tender mercy. God defined as tender mercy. So beautiful. You know that God has pardoned you. See, you got to understand something. God is not just letting you off the hook here for your sins. You understand. He's not just looking at your life and, oh, yeah, I see all the sin. You are guilty. How many of you say, yeah, I'm guilty. I've sinned, right? He's not just looking at your sin and saying, you know what? Don't worry about it. I got you. You understand that a payment had to be paid for your sins. That if God is just and God is holy, he cannot just allow sinners entrance into the kingdom of heaven. He can't just look at your sin and say, you know what? That's no big deal. I love you anyway. Just come on up. You understand a penalty, a price has to be paid for our sins. Amen. And the price that was paid for your sins was God sent his son, Jesus, to suffer and die in your place. The pardon that God has made on your behalf was because God sent Jesus to be the one that would suffer and die. Jesus died in our place. It is Jesus who said, I am the light of the world. Whoever believes in me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light of life. The rising has come. The darkness is over. Praise God. And I'll end with this, this about this man, John, you know, Zacharias spirit filled surely taught his son, John, all these things. Amen. Think about that. Zachariah taught John everything that he knew. How many of you fathers, you're teaching your kids about God and his ways. Amen. And this is what this is what Zechariah does to John. And I think about this moment when John is baptizing and he sees Jesus. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Forgiveness has arrived the sun has arrived. Arrived. Darkness is over. 
And for all who believe the light is here and peace is here and forgiveness is here. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today.